0: Welcome to HACCP Chat with HACCP Mentor, where it's all about helping you make your food business compliance easier. Sit back and relax as we get our food safety, HACCP and quality compliance on with your host, Amanda Evans.
1: Welcome to this episode of HACCP Chat, where today we're going to be speaking to Steve Hatha and we're going to be discussing what the real costs are associated with a food recall. So welcome Steve, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks Amanda, thanks for having me.
1: Just uh, before we jump in, just give my HACCP mentor audience a bit of a overview of, of what you do, who you are and what makes you in a position to be able to talk about food recalls. Sure. Um, I've been involved
0: with uh, incident management, product recalls and crisis prevention for probably about 25 years, I guess. Um, the uh, Where I really got into the nitty gritty when it comes to product recalls, particularly food recalls, is when I was working for the Coca-Cola company um, and I designed their global incident management and crisis resolution program. And that really came about as a result of the Belgium crisis in 1999, where all Coke products were removed from shelves across Belgium and the big chunk of France because of what was really a fairly minor quality problem that escalated into a major brand crisis. And uh, since that time, my focus has been not only on the kind of technical side of product recalls, but also Understanding why incidents and recalls escalate into a brand crisis, and obviously, um, you know, how we can prevent that from happening. Since that time, um, and when I left uh, Coca Cola, um, I've started my own business, and uh, that has now morphed into the Recall Institute. And as the name might suggest, we're focused on product recalls and crisis prevention for food and consumer goods companies.
1: That sounds good. You're based in Australia, where I am too. Yep. Um, and but you operate internationally, very similar to what I do as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we. Uh, one of the things I did was um, I was a co-author of the international standard for product recall, and um, you know I've been operating in many different countries for a long time. But but really, the purpose of the international standard was to kind of bring together all those common elements of product recall and crisis prevention, so it really doesn't matter what country or what products, um, as long as they're food and consumer goods, um, we're talking about that some of those, well, 90% of those principles still apply. So I think it's important to note that most of the things that, that we do can um, be applied in any country in, in pretty much any product. So.
1: Okay, so that, that standard, for people who don't know that standard, I'll have a link to that in mm-hmm. the, the show notes to this episode. So the standard basically sets the the basic rules, let's say, just like you would for any of the GFSI standards on how you should be addressing uh, recall management and crisis management within your business. And you can actually get certified, as far as I know, against this standard as well. But it, it's a good kind of framework uh, to have a look at when you are developing your recall and crisis management systems for your business?
0: Yeah, I mean, the standard has a couple of key things that don't often find their way into product recall programs. So um, there's a couple of areas there that, you know, I I think are well worth taking a look at. Um, Things like um, uh, risk assessment methodology, for example, actually having a structured um, risk methodology for, uh, you know, the decision to recall a product I think is, is really important and, you know, Often in recall plans, it's kind of a yes, no question, you
1: know,
0: does it it pose a risk or not? Well,
1: you know. Yeah, how do you actually come up with that? And I think a lot of people do um, struggle with that side of it. And I think sometimes companies will then rely on the government forcing them to do the recall because they can't really structure the way to make that decision. It's like they're too scared to make the decision, yes or no. And then there's this time delay. Then,
0: yeah, that happens. Interestingly enough, um, most governments won't help you do that assessment. Um, You know, they'll they'll certainly let you know if they think you should recall a product, but they they won't help you go through that process of of yeah, accurately assessing risk. And that's why I think a methodology is really important because if you can go to a government agency and say, here's our assessment of the risk, and as a result of this, we've made these two decisions, you know, that's a different conversation than kind of being forced into doing something that you, you know, you, you may not... Um, really want to actually. do. Yeah. yeah, so... Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Now, that's... Um, so risk assessment, as for any of my listeners who are are required to have a GFSI standard implemented within their business, things like SQF or ISO 22,000 or sorry, more FSC 22,000, BRC, Global GAP, any of those bigger standards will all have requirements around food recall, but also they've all got these requirements for risk assessment. So it's definitely worth a look at the recall standard and what's some of the other key things in the standard there, Steve?
0: Um, I think the other uh, really important one is the standard talks a lot about strategy um, and you know I, th- I think while a lot of companies think about strategy in operational terms they don't often think about strategy in business terms so in other words you know the the perfectly balanced response strategy takes into account consumer safety uh, brand and it takes Takes into account the strategic, the long-term interests of the business, and so balancing all those things together to determine your response strategy also helps with your communications. So I think, um, you know, a lot of often people get sort of bogged down on the technical side of a product-related problem, um, and I think it's kind of you. While obviously the technical side of the problem is critical, you also need to think through some of those broader brand and and uh, business issues that you know in. in structuring your response strategy and your communication. So so the, the standard spends a bit of time talking about the strategy. The other thing uh, the standard talks about is um, the need for broader communications. And I know um, a lot of people focus on a newspaper notice, for example, which is probably the least effective means of recall communication um, for a number of reasons, I won't get into all the details here, but these days social media becomes absolutely a critical part of your communication plan and I know social media scares the pants off a lot of people. It really doesn't have to be that way. Um, Social media is quite different, that's not a one-way communication. Um, but, um, you know, if you structure it right, it's a real opportunity to
1: build engagement with your brand. So it's yeah. another thing. I think clear. that's going to be a, a whole other podcast, I think, oh, yeah. on, on social <laughs> oh, yeah. media. We but can I
0: talk did, a lot about
1: social media. Yeah, yeah well, I, I definitely think the audience will want to know yep. more about that side of it. Like just when you were saying there about the, you know, print media is kind mm. of like – well, it's not obsolete, but – you know, I don't know have I can't remember the last time I read a newspaper <laughs> but it's, it's probably been a good maybe three or four years but I did notice the other day when I did my groceries there was a kind of like a tag in front of the product or it was mm. kind of near where we normally buy this particular mm. product it's a similar one which is like a, a chorizo kind of meat and my husband actually said well yeah, there's that recall notice. So why would we even buy any of their brand stuff? And he's going, why Why would a company put that there? Because nobody would want to buy any of their stuff. And I said, well, they have to do it by law. Mm. This is within Australia to notify the consumer. Yep. He said, but how many consumers actually would then relate that recall to that product as opposed to all of the other the company's other products? Mm. I said, well, this is the thing that we, we talk about around um, this brand damage. Yeah. So, again, that's when we start getting into looking at these real costs associated with a food mm-hmm. recall. That I just thought it was interesting, though, for him to say that to me.
0: Yep.
1: Um, yep. Because he's totally not weird at all. He's not even <laughs> in the food industry. You know, all he learns is from you know osmosis by hanging yeah. out with me. But I thought yeah. it was interesting that he actually did say, "Well, why would we even buy any of their products now if they've had yeah. this recall?"
0: But, but it's interesting, isn't it? That, that's a you know, it's a great example of a you know normal consumer. We, because we're in the industry, we think about things in, in different ways. Um, you know, I spent a, a fair bit of time talking to your average consumer and finding out how they feel about how a company is um, managing a recall. And uh, it's really fascinating when you start talking to consumers about. You know how they how they view a brand after a recall. Um, if it's handled well, they're actually quite glowing about yeah. the company. Uh, but I tell you what, if they don't, they tell a lot of people very quickly. Um, so, it really, becomes important to you know to manage uh, incidents and recalls effectively.
1: So, so, so would that um, mm. that brand damage? Would that be a direct cost or an indirect? cost associated with a food recall.
0: Well, it's really, well, it, it's part, it's part um, direct and part indirect. Um, actually, um, you certainly in terms of loss of immediate sales, you could uh, suggest that you know that's a that's a direct cost of a, a recall. But our primary concern is is the long-term damage to a brand and, and a business because. You know, that, that can lead to significant long-term drop in sales. Uh, if you're a, a B2B um, food supplier, it can lead, lead to loss of major contracts. Um, you know, we've had uh, one client in particular um, that I had a conversation with had 75% of their business was generated through a one contract through a leading retailer. Uh, and when that retailer basically told him to take his product back, you know, that's a very significant impact on,
1: mm. on their business. So well, That's enough to close a business, I think. If you it, lose absolutely. 75% of your customers are gone overnight, <laughs> Yeah, not a very good business strategy to yeah. put all your eggs in one basket, really. Absolutely.
0: But I, I think, I mean, it's important to um, understand the differences between some of the direct costs and indirect costs. And I'll, I'll kind of get to, you know, the subject of um, recall insurance and, that I'll mention as well. But, yeah. but if you take a look at direct costs, I mean, there's you know, there's probably no rocket science there, but obviously the, the value of the products that um, have either been destroyed or the costs of reworking, if, if that's appropriate, for example. You've got retrieval costs. You've often got store costs. You know, Large retailers often have a per-store cost to conduct a recall on your behalf. Um, I don't know what the going rate is at the moment, but something like 85 bucks a, a store, store, which...
1: Yeah, you know, per you've got per a big... product, I think it is. That's
0: in yeah. Australia. Yeah, um, and so I'm not sure what that is um, in some of the other countries. But but it, you know it is. But they fixed. would
1: have one. They, oh,
0: all, oh, re- yeah, all yeah, the retailers
1: have got a, a recall <laughs> store cost. Absolutely.
0: So, the, where it becomes really interesting is when the retailer then talks about loss of profit. But anyway, I won't. I won't yeah, uh, with that, <laughs>
1: that how way. do you even? Well, yeah. you. Well, they could calculate it quite easily because it'd be like, well, this week, yeah, just from a very. Yeah. Basic level. This week we uh, last week we sold a hundred of your products, and this week we can't sell any, so we've lost yeah, out right. on a hundred, yeah. hundred product sales.
0: Yeah. Of course, then you yeah. could argue, well, you yeah, but you sold enough, you know one of our competitors' product as well.
1: Products, so. But, then but then they, anyway, <laughs> well, also a cost. Yeah. yeah. Then they could argue, well, because <laughs> your product wasn't available on our shelves, they've yeah. now gone to our competitor, yeah. uh, you know, competitor retailer. To, to look for a similar product, you know? Oh, I don't know, where does it end? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's a difficult one and, and it's kind of a case by case one. That, you know, our our experience is that, you know, it's, you know, it comes down to being sensible about it. But um, yeah, um, so direct costs, um, you've got consultant costs, um, you know, if you have to set up a, a call centre, if you've you know, got a significant size um, recall, um, you've got advertising costs, a um, lot of uh, loss of direct costs. Sales off shelf, um, loss of major contracts, I've already mentioned, um, and then you get some into some of your more indirect costs, and um, some of the figures we've seen is roughly 30% of the costs of a recall, for example, uh, are often around interruption, business interruption. Yeah. Um, so, for example, if the uh, cause of the recall had something to do with a problem on your production line, you've got to shut that line down. Um, obviously, um, there's some business interruption costs. Mm. You've got some loss of sales on an ongoing basis. But then you get, start getting into an area which is often very difficult to quantify, and that is the ongoing brand damage, which obviously leads to um, long-term loss of sales, and you've got business value uh, itself. Now, of course, the, the really good example of that one was the Patty's Foods and the Nana's Frozen Berry. Um, yes, with the Hepatitis A. With the Hepatitis A, where yeah. you, had a, you had a situation, if, you know, if you you had a look at the value of the brand of, uh, you know, Nana's Frozen Berries prior to the recall, um, you know, it was their their fastest growing segment. Um, it Some some estimates put the brand value of Nana's frozen berries prior to the recall of, you know, sort of approaching $100 million or or thereabouts. Um, After the recall, um, the uh, business, which included not only Nana's frozen berries but also Creative Gourmet, which was the same product packaged differently, um, it was sold for $1.8 million. On the proviso that the Nana's Frozen Berries brand went away, so it, it was effectively worth zero. So when you yeah. start thinking about that sort of loss, you know, you're really talking about significant indirect costs, uh, and that's the sort of thing that's very difficult to, to value. Um, it's getting a little dated now. There's not a lot of statistics around in terms of the cost of a crisis, and, and just you know. So, so what's it- the
1: difference between a crisis and a recall?
0: Yeah, so um, when you when you look at the sort of escalation process, every company has incidents. You know, you you have them all the time. There's yeah. no such thing as perfect systems and processes. So you'll get problems from time to time. You might get consumer complaints, a whole bunch of things. They're they're all incidents. Non,
1: they, yeah, they, non-conformances they, basically. Yeah, exactly. The exactly. Audience would probably know them as.
0: Yep. Um, and then, um, you know, at at times it may be appropriate to conduct a recall, and, then, and we just talked a little bit about the costs of that, of a potential uh, recall. But if it escalates to long-term uh, brand damage and business value, that's when you get into the area of crisis. Now, I define a crisis as any incident that's having a significant, ongoing negative impact on the brand or the business. You know we're we're sort of in a kind of a different category now, um, and uh, as I was saying, there, there's not a lot of um, statistics available, actual data in terms of what the cost of a crisis is as opposed to the cost of a recall. Um,
1: but yeah, uh, it could be very hard to measure. How, exactly. You you could measure from a point of, like, say, sales. Because yep. that's um, you know quite absolute, but the whole thing about how people feel about a brand, whether they would buy again, unless you went out and did all these surveys, which again costs money.
0: Yeah. I mean, the quantifiable costs of Nana's frozen berries was said to be about $14 million, which is because they're subject at the moment to suing their suppliers. So we're getting some indications of costs. So roughly, you know, $14 million is the Direct and indirect quantifiable costs, but as I said before if you if you look at the the brand value of effectively a hundred million dollar loss of brand value, then that's a kind of different thing altogether. So
1: for this fourteen million dollars mm. that's been quoted mm. so how how does a company even cover that? So you touched briefly before about mm. insurance mm-hmm. so so in that, I don't know whether you have an insight into that insurance yep. side of things. How does a how does a company know that they're going to be covered for that? Because if you're a small business, and yep. even if you're up for two million dollars or three million dollars, yep. you know how does a small business survive, and how many people yep. do survive that recall process?
0: Yeah, a um, really really good question. I mean, yeah, firstly on product recall insurance, you can get product recall insurance, obviously. Um, uh, you know, companies need to be very careful about the difference between what's called a product recall extension um, to a – like a product liability policy, for example. Product recall extensions are just the direct first-party costs, not the um, third-party cost. So
1: all be, of those direct things that we spoke about before. Correct. yeah. So that, the, the retrieval, the, the storage, the disposal, that covers all of that stuff, Yeah.
0: Uh, yes, mainly. Yeah. You've got to be careful. A lot of policies are quite different, so some some things are covered and some not, and the triggers are a little bit different. But but yeah, effectively you've got your just your basic costs covered by extensions. But when it comes to the sort of more that the more indirect costs and the more significant costs, that often not covered in an extension. So you really need to get a, what's called a standalone product recall insurance policy. Now, I'm not a broker. You. You know, so, um, you know, people need to talk to their insurance broker about the most appropriate one, but just be really careful about the wording and, and the difference between the two. But to get back to your question, how do you cover it? Well, yeah, as I said, product recall insurance will cover um, your direct and quantifiable indirect costs to a certain extent, and depending on the, um, uh, the, the, the product and, and the policy. So that's kind of the first step unless you're going to spend a lot of money on insur- on insurance you're probably not going to cover them on going long-term brand damage there's no insurance policy that's going to cover some of those major costs and that's where it becomes really really important to have good systems and processes because companies do not have to get into a crisis i'm, I'm not aware of any um, major recall that escalated into a crisis um, that wasn't caused by, or at least made significantly worse by the way the company managed it. So, uh, you know, I'm a big advocate of having insurance and systems working in tandem. You got it. You kind of have to have both. So, what insurance does is sort of takes that sort of short term cost off the table. So you can focus on what's really important. And that's the long term business value associated with managing a recall so the two have to work in tandem i think so if you're a small business um in the food industry you, yes you i think you need a product recall insurance policy um but you also have to have really good systems and processes so that incidents are managed effectively recalls are managed effectively and you've got a good crisis prevention program and again i you know most people call it a crisis management program i specifically call it a crisis prevention program because at the end of the day we ain't trying to manage a crisis That's, we're trying to prevent,
1: trying it. To prevent it. That's That's
0: um, and that comes down to having good plans um training people and uh, practicing um a, a recall uh, in a simulated environment before you actually have to conduct one um, so they're the sort of things that really protect a business even a small business from you know uh, the recall costs.
1: Yeah. I noticed. Um, I did a a facilitation activity recently with a company who had been through a recall, and mm-hmm. when I asked them the question, you know, was you know was your recall insurance suitable? And they said it didn't even come close yeah. to covering the costs that we've we've had to go through. And it's taken. They they said you know I think they're at about the eighteen month. Also, mark now where you know they're only just starting to recover sales, yep, in, a, in that process, which is scary for a
0: small mm. business. And
1: they're not a big, you know, like your Paddy's Foods or whatever, they're not a big company, they're a yeah. family run company um, yeah. who have had a major impact and they weren't adequately insured, yeah. you know, which is, is quite sad. Yeah. So, how many how many companies don't? Generally, don't survive a recall, Steve.
0: Last statistics I heard is roughly twenty five
1: percent of companies won't survive.
0: So straight uh,
1: after the recall, they're done and dusted, out of there. Yeah,
0: yeah. Basically, it's the, you know destroy it will destroy the business. Those that do survive tend to be larger companies because they've obviously they've got the resources to um, uh, to get through a, a major recall, um, and they've got other. Uh, may have other brands, other product lines. That's right. That can going. absorb.
1: Yeah. And
0: if you're dependent on one product, uh, it's kind of a different kettle of fish. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound pessimistic here. It is absolutely possible to prevent a brand crisis. So um, yeah. as I said, it comes through a combination of appropriate levels of recall insurance and good systems and processes systems. Yeah. to prevent incidents from occurring. Um, in the first place, of course, but if you do have an incident, make sure you can manage that effectively by having good plans, good people, uh, and having practised.
1: Yeah, and I think also having an attitude of um, it'll never happen to us is a good way to be because that's what everybody, I think, says when we go in and do these insurance reviews or yep. recall reviews, they all say, well, when we never thought it was, you know, all the conditions yep. just happened to be right at the time for the yeah. perfect storm, you know. Yeah. So it's like, well, actually, if you start digging into it, it really yeah. does come back to, to knowledge
0: mm-hmm. and
1: systems mm-hmm. either being broken or people not, you know, people didn't receive the right training. Um yeah but yeah definitely systems have broken down somewhere or well, they just didn't have a system yeah yeah so yeah I'm okay sure. so we've we've covered a few of those real costs and and touched on the uh, sorry the direct direct costs and indirect costs that have been uh, coming through on recalls and touched on the standard so i think definitely there's there's more areas to explore around recall hence why we want to do this uh, series on food recall uh, for the f- for your food business. So, Steve, if you're happy to to come back on again, and I think we can we can do separate podcasts on how social media impacts your food business, and also just getting into some kind of basic stuff like how do you actually go about um, selecting your food recall team, and another I think topic is you know, what you should have included in your food recall plan. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, if you're happy to to continue on with this, I'd love to have you back to get into yep. those topics, dive a bit deeper into those topics.
0: Yeah, no, very happy, happy to. to.
1: Yep. Okay, awesome. So thanks very much. If you're listening via HACCP chat, feel free uh, from the blog post, you'll be able to see links to the resources we've spoken about today and also there's links back to Steve's website where you can learn more and more about what Steve does and the the food recall training and services that he does offer thanks very much everyone and we'll catch you in the next HACCP chat You've been listening to HACCP
0: Chat with HACCP Mentor. For all your food business, HACCP, quality and food safety compliance tools, check out our website at www.haccipmentor.com. You can also find all the links and resources mentioned in the show notes to this episode.